0: and laughs theater of the mind the best love programs from radio's golden age only on zoomer radio now here is your master storyteller frank proctor
1: well thank you and welcome to the show tonight another exciting adventure with the crew of the scarlet queen The show existed because of the work of one man, really, Elliot Lewis, an American actor, writer, producer, and director who worked in radio and television during the 20th century. He was known for his ability to work in these capacities right across all genres, including the golden age of radio. In fact, it earned him the nickname Mr. Radio. Lewis made his radio debut back in 1936 at the age of 18, and while he was a student at Los Angeles City College, he was noticed in a college play was invited then to read four lines in a biography of Simon Bolivar. Lewis's role was to scream and bang metal chairs in an earthquake scene. His mother drove him to the NBC studio, kissed him for good luck, and waited in the car with the radio on. At the moment of her son's debut, a streetcar rumbled by, prevent her from hearing his big scene. Mm. Another early role was as Mr. Presto, the magician on the transcription series The Cinnamon Bear. As an actor, Lewis was in high demand on radio, and he displayed a talent for everything from comedy to melodrama. He gave voice to the Bitter Harbor-educated sound man in the 1940-41 series of Burns and Allen, and several characters on the Jack Benny radio show, including thuggish Mooley and cowboy star Rodney Dangerfield. Elliot Lewis found acting, except for comedy, dull, and he preferred to write and direct. He disliked hearing his own voice. Tonight we're going to hear him as Philip Kearney, master of The Scarlet Queen. Log
2: entry. The catch Scarlet Queen. Position: 132 degrees 6 minutes west, 25 degrees 15 minutes north. Gyrocompass course: 275. Wind: fresh. Sky: fair. Remarks: Departed Island of Muninjima at 4:15 p.m. After unlogged movement of vessel. Reason for move: The Spaniard and the Lascar pirates. <laughs> Mid-afternoon, 15 days after we dropped the Hawaiian chain behind us that we raised on the horizon the mountain peaks of Muninjima and our appetite for cool, sweet water and fresh fruit. The island lies some 500 miles east-northeast from the Bonin Group and it served as a Japanese base during the war. My pre-war charts due to Jap secrecy were incomplete and inaccurate, but just before sunset when we stood around the southern tip, we did find the anchor had shown on them. It was a small half-moon bay protected by a line of breakers foaming in over a barrier reef. A little north of the center of the reef was our path, wide enough for the queen to slip through with good steerage way, friendly currents, and a light hand at the wheel. The water over the side took on a shallow look as we approached under power, and Gallagher went to the bow with a hand lead to measure the depth. He heaved the lead in line forward, and his readings came rolling back. Five fathoms, leaving a few to spare between keel and bottom. but shallowing to less than five as we closed on the pad.
3: By the teeth! more. Four.
2: Four and a half fathoms, and the teeth of the coral started to show through the white froth of surf. And the current washing back from it took the bow of the queen from port and pushed.
3: By the mark! more, Easy, sipper, easy!
2: I fought the wheel, and for a moment the scarlet figurehead seemed to rest on the reef. And then her head swung into the narrow channel. The shoulders of the reef swirled by us on each side. No bottom
3: at 15. No bottom at 15.
2: We were in. To deep, quiet water. After our anchors were secured at the sandy bottom, Gallagher and I dropped into our dinghy and rowed toward a small pier that jutted out from the beach. At water level, we were able to see a cluster of half a dozen tin roofed frame buildings set back from the shore and shaded by a grove of banyans and cocoa palms. We shipped our oars, started to make fast when we heard footsteps on the pier above us. I looked up. Straight into the muzzle of a 30 caliber rifle. A single watery China blue eye looked at me from behind the sights. The back year Wait a minute. My ears stuffed up, or did you say go back to our ship?
3: Get your ship out of the bay! You are welcome here!
2: We need stores. This is no social call. We need water and fresh fruit or we wouldn't have stopped. He's drunk, Skipper. Here, let me take that gun away from him. Oh, wait a minute, Red. I think he means it. I think he's... Enough. Red! Red, are you hit? No. But you're right, Skipper. He does mean it. The guy's stark raving nuts. <laughs> Mutual continues the Voyage of the Scarlet Queen, written by Gil Dowd and Bob Tolman and starring Elliot Lewis. The Scarlet Queen, broadest ship to sail the seas, bound for uncharted adventure. Every week, a complete entry in the log. And every week a league further in the strange Voyage of the Scarlet Queen. I stood there in the dory looking up at the rifle and the man behind it. He was a dissipated thirty-five, dressed in rumpled white duck trousers, no shirt, and a linen jacket streaked down the front with liquor and food stains. I was trying to figure how drunk he was and whether to make a try for the rifle myself when a movement shoreside caught my eye. And what a movement. She walked across that strip of beach as if she owned it.
4: Emmett! Emmett, what are you doing out here?
3: I don't want the
2: amateur.
4: Give me that rifle.
3: Uh, Too many of them here already. Give me that gun. I'll
4: shoot them and then the others. You fucking fool! Go on.
2: Go on, or I'll use it on you. All right. We haven't got trouble enough. We'll
3: have
4: it now. I'm sorry, gentlemen. My husband has been ill. Please come ashore. You're more than
2: welcome. (laughs) Well, Skipper, what are we waiting for? That's a foolish question, Brett.
4: I'm Nora Fairfield. Welcome to Moonin Jima. I'm sorry your first greeting was so unpleasant. Yeah.
2: What does your husband hunt with that cannon?
4: Men. He hates them.
2: But uh, you don't, hmm?
4: Certainly not. That's why he does.
2: You said he was sick. What's wrong with
4: him? Nothing you have to worry about. But I think I should warn you. You aren't the only visitors on Moonin Jima. For an island that gets a steamer twice a year, we're doing well.
2: I didn't see any boat in the bay.
4: He wasn't as good a sailor as you are. He lost his ship on the reef a month ago.
2: He should have stayed home.
4: I'm beginning to think so myself.
2: I let Red fight his own way out of that one. Something up ahead of us interested me more at the moment. She'd taken us into the compound and we were maybe 50 yards from the residence house. It was a typical island bungalow built up on stilts with a deep veranda across the front of it. But it wasn't the house that interested me. It was a group of bare-chested, brown-skinned East Indians squatting on their heels at the foot of the stairs. They looked as though their short leave had lasted too long. And the curved knives they wore looked even meaner than their faces. Their eyes followed us as we went past them and into the house. Two men were sprawled in wicker chairs, and neither of them was her husband. The dark one, built along the lines of Rocky Graziano, grinned up at us. Call in, hombre. The girls save you from the husband, too, No.
4: Captain Ramirez, Captain, um... Carney,
2: Phil Carney. And Mr. Gallagher, my first officer. Hey, that's good enough. I'm Dr. Mitchell. Thomas Mitchell. And you needn't tell me I looked the path. I've been told before.
4: Captain Ramirez is the man I told you about, Captain Carney. You men talk. I'll go see if my husband
2: has enough bottles to keep him comfortable. Hmm. <clears throat> uh, that was tough. Losing a ship room, huh? A uh, mouse worth, day, Sometimes bad, sometimes good. This time, bad. But who knows? Maybe things get better today.
5: Better.
2: Better, he says. With that heathen crew of are squatting on their heels outside, ready to sink those murderous knives into our backs if we so much as look cross-eyed at them? Don't talk so much. Or I'll let you die on this island. So, that's your plan. You think you'll buy your way out of here on the Scarlet Queen and leave me here to rot? That's one Irishman to another, Mr. Cardi... This pirate has not got the price of a passage. You will have to excuse this doctor. <laughs> Too much sad. But if you take me, Connie. I have money in the state. Stay. Like the money you stole in Manaquari. He will be in jail before he pays. <laughs> Listen to the man. That boat onto the reef. Where do you think Captain Ramirez came by such a vessel? He stole it. And if you don't look sharp, that is enough, sir. Oh. Right. Now I help you out, doctor. You're a little rough on your passengers, aren't you, Remiss? (laughs) Uh, Him? He lived too long in the tropics. His brain is fried. Maybe I should have butted in and saved him a sore jaw. The Scarlet Queen isn't taking on any passengers here. No room. (laughs) Hey, how big is your crew, Connie? Eight seamen. (laughs) That's funny. That's my crew, eight men. But our crew's carrying guns, Ramirez, in case you got any idea. I didn't see anything but knives on those Laskas of yours. I don't worry. I've got gun down in my bungalow. But to see here, I prefer the knife myself. An eight-inch knife blade vibrated in the table in front of us. He was so fast, I didn't even see where it came from, but there it was. He flashed us a smile full of oversized, overpolished teeth and tugged the knife out of the wood and left. This is a great island, Skipper. I'm glad you brought me here. I just wish there was enough daylight and tide left to get us through that reef and out of here. You think he's crazy enough to try and take the queen? I don't know, Red, but I'm not sleeping tonight. Neither are you. We'll keep our eye on him from two places. I'll row you back to the ship, and I'm staying ashore. Wait a minute, Skipper. You're pulling your rank on me. I met her, too. Forget it, Red. There's a husband and Ramirez in the picture, too. By the time I'd taken Gallagher to the Queen, broken out enough rifles to arm the crew, and rode back to the island, night had fallen. And the first quarter moon was rising above the tops of the ponds. I stopped when I hit the beach to get my bearings, decide which way to go. The threat was real enough, I was sure of that island shipwreck has turned sweeter characters than ramirez to piracy and the only way he or any of us could get out of there was on the decks of the scarlet queen he was facing a crew of natives filled with frenzy for a home thousands of miles away i was two legs out on a voyage with a 10 million dollar prize at its destination somewhere in the south pacific i'd fought before and i was ready to fight again to keep the scarlet queen underway a shadow, black in the faint moonlight made my automatic handy at my waist and started counting the minutes for the rise of sun and tide and the chance to get away from this place the first twenty went by slowly and quietly then I heard a rustle in the brush behind me I took a quick step sideways, snapped my automatic from my belt and whirled the faces out oh, oh, Captain Carney, you
4: oh, why waste time on an act you didn't surprise me came looking for you you just startled me a little. I put this on common ground,
2: except for the surprise. Why were you looking for me?
4: Because I've got to get away from Emmett. I want to go with you. Talk sense. I can't take you with me. You could, Phil. I don't know what's going to happen if I stay here with that decaying pig. I'm afraid I'll kill him. And I'm afraid he'll kill me. I've got to get away from here. So look at me. Please, Phil, take me away from here.
2: You don't touch me, gorgeous. I can hear you saying the same thing the same way to Emmett about getting away from some other sucker. The only way you're going to get away from this island is on a tramp steamer yeah.
4: Oh, Phil, I didn't mean that. Really, I didn't. I'm just going crazy, that's all. Phil, if you know what kind of a woman I am, can't we let it go at that? Then I couldn't hurt you. Phil. Phil, just for a minute... Afraid of me? I I hit you, didn't I? Because you knew me. For a second, I hated you. But now I don't.
2: That's too bad. I feel more comfortable when you do. Anybody on any island would have given her A for effort, and the same for her injured pride exodus. She left my little plot of beach. I had half a hunch and maybe half a hope that she wasn't through pleading her case, and she'd be back. I sat there through the next hour trying to keep my mind on the Queen's cabin lights bobbing slightly out in the bay and to be ready for any movement towards her. There was only a split-second awareness of someone behind me, then a brown forearm was across my throat. I got a glimpse of a second figure slipping around in front of me. It was the turban last guy. I kicked out at him. The last thing I remembered was the smell of chloroform and the cloth he jammed across my nose and mouth. And the deep gasping breath my lungs forced me to take when the forearm relaxed a little. That and the sound of oars being put in oar locks. Somebody jumped into the dinghy and headed for the Scarlet Queen. Then the beach, the island, the whole world pulled away from me and I was too tired to care. first thing I coasted back on was the light that leaped in through my eyelids. Then the nausea. It was throbbing in my head. I got my eyes open long enough to realize that the brightness was coming through a window. It was daylight. Broad daylight. That's when I tried to get up and fell back on the cot. Ah, Connie. You're Iris, right from the brink of consciousness. Welcome back to a world of beauty. Yeah. When I can remember of it, I'm sure I like it. Help me up with you, Doc. I've already helped you up. If it hadn't been for me, you'd be well on your way to enriching the soil here on Moon and G-mark. Hold it, Doc. Take me a while to collect these things. Here, in the Moon Pool. If you must think, this will help clear it up. Yeah, my ship, Doc. It's gone. But you're wrong. When you came into the bay out there, in the situation here, it was no longer your ship. It was common property among desperate people. You and I happen to lose my mate Gallagher. Who knows? Even common property himself shared between three or four types of flesh-eating fish. My headache, Doc. I can't get very far beyond that yet. I'll mix you something. Hmm. They brought you here last night after they plucked you off the beach with my chloroform, by the way. Uh-huh. I was supposed to kill you neatly and silently. Slight like swelling in your right arm it was the point of injection. Hmm. Due to some last-minute loyalty to our common heritage, I lightened the door. Thanks. Here, Think this. Yeah. He might say that you have been one milligram away from a heathen grave. My payment, of course, was to be passage out of here with Ramirez. You see, I'm here as a result of my dishonesty to him, no doubt. I feel sorry for you, Doc. Indeed, I feel the same thing myself. Now, if you'll get up on your own two feet instead of lying there like a sick dog, I think you'll feel better. Get a breath of air if you can find some moving. I was halfway to my feet before his last words got through the dizziness. There wasn't any air moving. I stumbled to the door and looked out. The palms and banyans were motionless. That meant one thing to me. The Scarlet Queen had to be under power to make any way. There wasn't enough breeze to even rattle her halyards. My wristwatch read 9 a.m., an hour and ten minutes after the earliest tide she could have crossed the reef on I knew that if I could get high enough, my ship would still be in sight. I didn't know why I should torture myself. Maybe it was like hiding in a corner to watch your girl marry another guy. But I pulled what was left of me together and started up the mountain to see where the queen was going with somebody else. The summit was a jumble of rock. I scraped my way to the very top and stood there miles of rolling folded hills and valleys stretched to the north. Three miles of gentle slope to the south. And beyond, in a great circle. Empty sea horizon. Not a sail. Not a mast. Not a speck in sight. Then I went down the mountain and back to the compound. It wasn't until then that I felt the new atmosphere of the place. Yesterday had been filled with chattering birds. Now there was nothing but the muttering of the surf against the reef, a leaden sky and humid, oppressive air. I went to the resident's house to find Nora, hoping she'd know where our mirrors would make for I found a room and knocked. There wasn't any answer. I knocked again, and then I went in. Ah. (laughs)
5: Like
2: I say, Connie, mal suerte. But, uh, you look surprised to find me waiting for you After the build-up, what else? What is the build-up when it all falls down? Where's my ship? I wish I knew I wish I knew so well I was on it How did you mess after your boy smothered me on the beach? Uh, I make big mistake I warn you, don't ever trust a woman Thanks She took the dinghy right after my boys made the big mistake with you Yeah, big mistake They should have smothered her I think maybe somebody else, too Who is gone from the island? The girl, yes your chief mate? No? And your Scarlet Queen. I saw her go through the reef. What do you think? From here that's hard to figure. Where's your last guard crew? Behind me? Don't worry. My boys crawled away someplace this morning. They say sunrise to red. They say wind going to blow today. You should have crawled with them, Ramirez. This is gonna be a good one. See, I know this wind. I think we got out of this house quick. This is no good place for typhoon. You got a better place in mind? you uh, you make good questions, Connie. I say the wind makes us good friends when we were good enemy before. We get out of this house. 15 minutes the wind has taken over the role of winning Jim and everyone on it. Ramirez and I struggled out of the house, my cattle turned our backs to the blast and huddled together. sand and rain that came with the wind. Left no time to think of anything but survival. Suddenly we all became allies. Dr. Mitchell came out of his collapsing cottage, called to us on his hands and knees, and then behind us, half-falling, staggering out of his coma and his quivering house, came Fairfield. Oh of us are lucky to be here instead of drowning on your massless house, Connie. I don't think much of the choice myself. I well, I do. But right now, I'm glad I trusted that woman. Shut now. up! What for? Professor? You think he doesn't know what kind of... Shut up! One?
5: It's
2: all right, Connie.
3: I know what it means. But I'd like to find her. The trail leads down
2: to the beach at the bottom of the crater. It was a steep trail, and now and then, when we'd go through a clearing in the dense growth, I began to get a picture of the place. It was a volcanic crater and the sheer sides made a complete circle with a circumference of about a mile and a half. We were about three-quarters of the way down when I caught the glimmer of water. Another hundred yards, and we broke out of the brush and hit the beach. That's when we all stopped. That's when the whole thing took on the feel of a dream. But I was awake, and there with just a bow in sight in the tiny inlet was the Scarlet Queen. didn't have time to reach for any answers because suddenly with the ship back on the scene, we were no longer allies. Our common enemy was forgotten and Ramirez and I were face to face. But he had a knife and I had an empty holster. I think this is far enough, Connie. Yeah, for one of us it is, Ramirez. Why don't you think this way? You take the island and the woman and I don't hurt you. The beautiful, traving night, Connie. You'll be happy, I tell you. You've been in the tropics too long yourself, Ramirez. That's fever talk. No, I tried to make it easy for you. I go on your ship. I tell you maybe you'd die like Mitchell in this storm. What do you think? Well, you make it sound good, Ramirez. You make it sound good. Stay
5: over there, The only
2: thing I knew about his eyes draw was that he used his right hand, and that's what I made
5: for. Him.
2: I his head over with my foot, and he didn't move. I didn't know how long it had taken, but it was long enough to make some changes in the scenery. Our dinghy was pulled up on the beach, Nora was standing there, next to her was Gallagher. I thought maybe you'd need some help, Skipper, but you did all right, didn't you? I got a few things out of my system, but I got a few more. Now, take it easy, Skipper. You're tired, so calm down. How'd you get here? Wait a minute, Skipper. Come here, you Right. He told me you sent her to the Queen last night, that you were selling her passage to Kobe. Who is she? Never mind, Fairfield. I believed her, because she put me wise to Ramirez. He and his Laskers tried to board the Queen at Dawn, but we were ready for him. She said you knew it, too, and were hiding out till it was over. You know how right she was. And then this morning, when I got a load of that typhoon sunrise, she told me about this place, and we came around, and a good thing, too. Yeah. If we'll put the whole thing off balance... The queen would never have lived in that bay on the windward side. What's the rest of it, Skipper? I was supposed to be dead, and she was sick of Ramirez.
4: Phil, Red, please let me say something. But you,
2: Gallagher, you're supposed to sail off into the sunset with her. Oh,
4: listen to me. You mean I
2: can go into the sunset with you? Wait a minute. You'll have to choose between her and me, Skipper. Well, when the chips are down, you're really more attractive, Red. Hmm. Glad to hear that, Skipper. I'm blushing with pride. And now, shall we leave the Fairfields to their island? What's left of it? Yeah. And to their Ramirez? What's left of him? Yeah, Skipper. I think we've wasted enough time on Mooninjima. Two hours before sunset, the outside circle of the typhoon had passed, and we headed out of the crater base. I didn't bother to take soundings, but I did sketch an addition to the faulty charts of the island. Under power, we threaded through a narrow channel that the Japanese Navy had dredged from the almost landlocked basin to the open sea. We rounded a rocky point and swung the scarlet Figurehead on our bow until she looked out on the course she'd been born to follow. Neither of us knew where that course would lead. When we were free of the rocks and I felt the breeze on my right cheek, I cut the motor. Stand
5: by to make sail!
2: The peaks of moon in still held us in their lee, but the edges of the northeast trade sweeping around them were enough. Go,
5: make sail!
2: The main reached up the mast and took hold, and the cloying land smell was swept away and replaced by fresh sea air.
5: Tip, no.
2: The ships ran up, and the mizzen the queen settled into a familiar position with her port rail inclining for the green water. Is she sea kindly, Skipper? She's doing fine, mate. We'll take her a little closer on when we make the north end of the island. That's an island I want to see sink behind the stairs. Why you? You didn't have a tough time. Uh, you don't know, Skipper. That woman, she thinks all men are the same kind of man as her kind of woman, if you know what I mean. I think I do, and it reminds me of a friend of mine on Motomachi Street in Colby. We'll have to look her up. Oh, no, not me. A glass of rice beer is as far as I go into Kobe. Drink, Skipper?
3: Yeah. Hey, what's this? There's lipstick on this bottle. Sure. What do you think she was? A savage? (laughs) Lipstick never hurt you, did it? Ah, go on. Have a drink, Skipper. After you, mate. After you.
2: Log entry. Catch Scarlet Queen. Five thirty PM. Miles traveled. Six thousand two hundred and fifteen. Mainsal and mizzen reefed. Ship secure for night. Signed. Philip Carney, Master. of the Scarlet Queen has come to you through the worldwide facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service.
1: Stay tuned for Red Skelton next on Theater of the Mind. Time now, for that rubber faced comedian whose clothes closet was filled with costumes of dozens of characters. Well, let's see who Red will portray tonight.
3: Ladies
6: and gentlemen, this is Red Skelton. In response to requests from millions of people, I'm sorry we say no. We present the program anyway. <laughs>
7: That Procter & Gamble brings you the Red Skelton Show, starring Red Skelton, Dave Rose and his orchestra, our singing stars, the Four Knights, Verna Felton, Lorene Tuttle, Pat McGee, and yours truly, Rod O'Connor. <laughs> yes, it's the Red Skelton Show, brought to you by Tide, Procter & Gamble's amazing new discovery for your whole family wash. From Metro Golden Mayor, the star of our show, Red
5: Skelton.
6: Thank you very much and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. How are you tonight,
7: O'Connor? Fine, Skelton. Uh, say where have you been hiding all week? What's the matter? Did the West Coast gas shortage keep you in? No, when I couldn't get any gas, I just filled my tank with lighter fluid. <laughs>
5: your
6: car run? No, but it made the prettiest blue
5: flame. <laughs> well, look,
7: what are you going to do this coming week?
6: Well, I'm flying to Washington, D.C. tonight. I've been asked to entertain before a Secretary of State General Marshall mm-hmm. before, uh, for the Humanitarian Award and I was asked to be there.
7: Why? Oh, some of the old gang thought it would be fun to take a hike up into the mountains and have a... Wasn't it
5: subtle the way I said that? <laughs> <laughs> and
7: have a civilian bivouac. Uh, do you have a sleeping
6: bag? Yeah, well, you want it? I think it's a sleeping bag. I bought it at an army surplus store. I think it's one of those cases they carry shallows in.
5: <laughs> oh,
6: sorry I said that, brother.
5: <laughs> well,
7: what do you mean, Mr. Bones?
5: <laughs>
7: you know, I sure have a dull part tonight.
5: <laughs>
6: what do you mean? I think the writers have captured your air personality for the first time.
7: <laughs> yeah, well, let's get back to the sleeping bag. <clears throat> Bring the words closer together, old boy. You're proud of that, ain't you? Yeah. Now, don't go
6: get mad. I'm not mad. Why? Well, I love you like Truman loves Congress.
7: Well, what do you know about sleeping bags?
6: Well, did you ever try to get into one of those things? Boy, they're, they're awful. It's like trying to put your pants on in an upper berth, you know? And I went camping last summer. And you get into this thing, see, and you zip yourself up. Guess you start to doze off. One of the kids says, hey, Bob, I'm (laughs) cold. So you get up and you give them your blanket. and You crawl back in the zipper bag and you zip it up again. And you're laying there watching the mosquitoes (laughs) prepare your nose for surgery. (laughs) Don't go away. I may want to read the script again. (laughs) Anyhow, you (laughs) go... You doze off to sleep again, and just then your wife says, Psst, hey, honey, I think somebody's ramsacking the car.
7: Well, then what do you do? Try to convince her it's just uh, some used car dealer's talent scout looking it over? No,
6: well, no, you sure how brave you are, and you grope around for the flashlight, see? Mm-hmm.
7: Finally, when you find it, the
6: kid's been playing with it all day, and the battery's so weak, you have to light a match to see if the ball... <laughs> Now, you start for the car, see, and you sneak over real... And you don't want to wake up the other campers. Mm -hmm. So very quietly, you say,
5: Who's there? Well, who
6: was there? Nobody but a nice, friendly 500-pound bear. You mean you came face-to-face with a bear? No, he followed me. (laughs)
7: I'm surprised at you. I heard those bears up in the national parks are so tame to eat off your hand.
6: Yeah, I got news for you, Bub. They like arms and legs, too. <laughs>
5: Tide's in.
8: <laughs> Dirt's out. Tide gets clothes cleaner than any soap.
7: Any soap?
8: Yes, any
6: soap. Uh, but... Simmer down there, sister. Simmer down. <laughs> You're covering a lot of ground there. I was over to my Uncle Cal Codiddlehopper's general store, and they really got a mess of different kinds of soap there, and a lot of them are new Sudzers, too.
7: Well, Clem, Tide gets clothes cleaner than any known wash day product, soap or sudzer new or old. Oh? Nothing you can buy will get your family wash as clean as Procter & Gamble's Tide. Oh, I see. Notice I said family wash. That includes everything your heavy work clothes, as well as your best linens and prints. Tide leaves them all free from dirt, and Tide removes dingy soap film, too. Yet with all this amazing cleaning power this takes, Tide is safe, truly safe for all your washable colors. What's more, Tide actually brightens those soap dull colors. As for white things, in hardest water, Tide gets them whiter than any other washing product known. Tide keeps them white, too, week after week. Never turns them yellow. When you're using Tide, you're using the only wash day product known that gives all this the cleanest, brightest, whitest wash you ever hung on the line.
6: All right, now, kiddies, gather around the radio and we get some old foot patting music going. The four knights are here, and what are you going to sing, boys?
1: A little song of that, Brother Bill. Oh, me and Brother Bill went hunting up in the woods of the eastern Maine. Now the reason why we went up there Well, we thought we could catch some game. As me and Brother Bill walked hunting way over in the middle of the night, we shot at something the back of a grizzly bear, but the dog don't thing turned white. So I dropped that gun, oh, drop that gun and way I, I run. Brother Bill said, "Boy, what's the matter with you? Hadn't known like me, you'd run some too. I run so fast they say they couldn't catch me all day." The way I run across that field, they couldn't catch me with an automobile. Brother Bill got so excited that he took a shot at me. That bullet whistled past my ears, zing, hit a tree. I run until I was exhausted, my feet were dragging the ground.
7: Come on, big feet, don't fail me
1: now. Oh, drop that gun, and away I run. Brother Bill said, boy, what's the matter with you? Had an old night me here. Run some too. I run so fast they say. They couldn't catch me all day. The way I run across that field, they couldn't catch me with an automobile. Well, I ran right past my house, but I didn't have time to knock. And I ran right past a big dice game. I didn't even have time to stop. And I ran right by a gin mill. And I stopped to get a shot of gin. But I didn't have a dime to pay for it. So I had to start running again. Oh, oh drop that gun, drop that gun. And away I ran. I
6: run, Brother Bill said, Boy, what's the matter with you? And don't like me, run some, too.
1: I run so fast, they said. They
6: couldn't catch me all day. The way I run across that field, they couldn't catch me
5: with an automobile.
9: People you'll meet sooner or later. Break it away.
6: Break it away. <laughs> Have you ever sold something that was dear to you just because someone told you that you should for your own good? Well, I knew an old cowboy like that once called Deadeye. He sold something he wanted. You will, too, sooner or later. Boy, I ain't going to give you no more of them home permanents, and then we won't look like twins anymore. Now, come on and whoa! All right, all right, all right. So you threw me. Now, stop prancing around like gorgeous George, will you? Come on over here, you no-good critter. I'll teach you a little...
10: Hey, you saddle bum. Don't yell at your horse like that. Let me give you a tip. We don't mistreat a horse in these parts.
9: Well, I ain't a bothering you, ma'am.
10: Say, <laughs> hey, don't I know you from somewhere? I never forget a face.
6: Well, uh, you should have forgotten the one you're wearing, all the way.
10: Let me see that horse. I know that horse. I've got it a dead eye. Your
6: horse is a dead giveaway. Well, yeah, he's a giveaway, but he ain't dead,
10: is he? <laughs> dead eye.
6: Don't you remember me? Well, now, I've seen that shape somewhere. Now, could it have been, uh... No, no. That was tied to the pier in Frisco.
5: <laughs>
6: you look like something like old Vulture Bait Kate.
5: <laughs> That's me.
6: Well, Katie, old gal, it's good to see you again.
10: Well, it's good to see you, too, Deadeye. Yeah. I ain't seen you for a year and a day. What you been doing? A year and a day. Come back here! Well, why shouldn't I come back here? When you hmm? did disappear after the big bank robbery. Oh, now the folks in these parts don't think I robbed the bank, do they? Well, your horse was in front of the bank, and there was a big explosion, yeah. and you come running out with a big bag of money and rode away.
6: Yeah, it does look suspicious, don't it?
10: <laughs> but everybody
6: knows I ain't no bandit. Why only did that for a joke?
10: Then why didn't you return the money?
6: Because I ain't got no sense of humor. <laughs> Well, Katie, it's, uh, you ain't going to turn me
10: in, are you? No, I reckon not, because uh, I still like you, did I? Oh, but let me give you a tip. If you don't that? want nobody to know you're around, you get rid of that nag. Yeah? Why, I recognized your horse before I recognized you. Yeah, it's
6: a good idea, but uh, tell me, will you be waiting here till I get back?
10: Yeah? I sure will, lover boy.
6: Let's not get sickening about this.
5: <laughs> I'll
10: see you later,
6: clabber girl. come on. <laughs> over and see the Honest engine, the used horse dealer. Ooh. Hey, partner, where will I find the Honest engine?
9: You're speaking to him, Toothless. What do you want to see me about? Well, I got a horse I'd like to trade in on a later model, uh, something that moves. Well, you have something to trade in? Yeah,
6: this billy I'm riding. Kind of sway back, ain't she? No, that's the latest thing in a horse.
9: You have to step down to get on.
5: (laughs) What do you think of her?
9: Look, cactus head, you better ride on. I ain't interested. look, Sergeant.
6: I don't mean to cause no trouble, but I'm a warning you. You're chatting with Deadeye. The roughest, toughest, humbrae this side of the YWCA, YMCA...
5: (laughs) Oh, you're
6: tough, eh? Yeah, and to prove it, I'll just empty my six-shooter and eat the bullets. Now what? There, and I swallowed them, too.
9: That was a silly
6: thing to do. Yeah, I think it was. I feel like I got a little indigestion now. (laughs) I hope I don't get the hiccups with them uh, bullets inside of me. Why, what would happen if you had hiccups? I don't know, but stand back. I think we're going to find out. (laughs) Tell me, how do I look
9: with only one head now? Well, indeed, how
6: about the horse
9: deal? I think you better get that nag out of here. She's turning to glue right in front of our eyes. Oh, what are you talking about? Well,
6: look at her stance. Look how steady she stands there.
9: I've got news for you, Packrat. Rat. She ain't standing. Well, she's leaning against that fence. Well, that's because she's
6: tired for waiting for us to come to turns here. Look, I'll walk her away from the fence. Come on now, now look up a, a little. Move your legs, will you, girl? Come on. There. You see, she can't even stand up. Oh, sure she can. She's just a victim of regulated training. Comes five o'clock, she lays down and takes a nap no matter where she is. (laughs) Ah, come on, girl. Get up. Get up. Here, here, better stand back. I never know what she does. Gonna do when she rears up on her knees like that. (laughs) Look at that. Ain't that a sight, brother? Now, you put a tired end in on her back, and you've got the most perfect picture of the end of the trail you ever wanted to (laughs) see.
5: I'm
9: very sorry, but I'm afraid that I can't do business with you. Yeah? Well, you got to. My life depends on it. I mean, uh, she's
6: not that bad. Why, she's one of the best quarter horses around.
9: Yeah? We'll bring around the other three quarters, and if it's breathing, we'll make a deal. Yeah? Look, did I. Truthfully, how old is this hayburner?
6: Well, between you and me, I should bring a nice price as an antique. I think she was with Teddy Roosevelt's Rough Riders. Because whenever I I comb her tail... (laughs) Get ready for it, folks. Here it comes. I think she was with Teddy Roosevelt's Rough Riders, because every time I comb her tail, she gets mad if I don't remember the (laughs) mane.
9: with old Teddy, eh? Yeah, first lieutenant. Well, I'll tell you. I'll give you a dollar for her and that horse over there. Okay, it's a deal. Well,
6: goodbye, old pal. (laughs) Now, stop crying. (laughs) What's wrong with her? Well, all horses buck around like that. Look look, at her turn. Look at that. Well, that? Well, I've never seen her act like that before.
9: And you won't again, either. She's dead. Dead?
6: <laughs> Not my old pal, Kim Ho. <laughs> Going to greener pastures, huh? <laughs> you must have a strong union, boys. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know how much I needed it. Why, I won't be able to go on without her now
9: Buck up, dead eye Gee, I've never seen such loyalty toward a friend Here, let me give you a horse to fill the empty spot in your heart Well, that's mighty neighborly of you. Why, look, she's moving Here,
6: here, lay down, gal, play dead, will ya?
9: Say, she ain't dead after
6: all No, but she's gonna be She pulls a new trick every time I try to get rid of her Well, I'll fix her this time Dead eye, no
9: Put that gun back in your holster
6: I'm tired of her being a boss Getting her own way all the time. Come on, behind the barn, you four-legged, ornery critter, you. I'll keep you to mess up. <laughs> Did I? What happened? Hide, man, hide. That crazy horse took the gun away from the horse. Tell what she'll do. <laughs> Uh, next Monday night, September the 20th, uh, Dave Rose will produce a benefit ball at the Hollywood uh, Palladium Ballroom for the disabled American veterans. And now Dave will, and his Pocker and Gamble Orchestra will play one of the numbers from his show, It's Magic.
9: page from the Mean Little Kid's Diary.
5: You
8: remember
6: how when you were a little kid, how fond you were of candy and sometimes the trouble it got us into? Well, especially if you had a sweet tooth like Junior, the Mean Little Kid. Junior!
5: Is that you?
8: Mommy, is that you? Yes. Then this is not me. Junior.
11: (gasps) Oh, darling, what happened? Where did you get that black eye? I ran into a doorknob. Now, Junior, don't fib.
8: I'm not fibbing. I ran into a doorknob. Widow Dickie Orland was holding it in his fist. Have
11: you been fighting?
8: Yes, I have. That Widow Dickie Orland says your grandpa was a big drunk.
11: And you said he wasn't a drunk.
8: I said he wasn't big.
11: Young man, that black eye is going to cost you a spank. Now, hold on,
8: kiddo. Why don't you wait until you find out about me bloody nose and the tooth I lost in the front before you start paying off? I don't like this installment plan stuff.
11: I give up. Yeah. Do you realize that I get gray-haired every day and it's all your fault?
8: Well, it wouldn't be if I wouldn't hide your henna rinse. Soon.
11: Can I go out and play? Yes, but don't go too far away because I have to clean you up before the company arrives.
8: Okay, I don't like that. She cleans up on me before company comes in and she cleans up on me after they leave we're we going to have company We're going to have company I wonder if it's somebody I've met before Nah, they wouldn't risk a second <laughs> company. company, company That means fresh peanuts and candy and all the dishes Well, I'd better go back and take a peek in the living room again Boy, I gotta be quiet as a little mouse <laughs> Oh, that's silly a rat like me disguising himself as a mouse. <laughs>
5: I'll take a look
8: now. I was right. Look at the dishes all filled with candy. Oh, look at that big dish of candy there. Now let's see. Mmm, that good boy, that good. Are you having fun, candy thief? Yeah, well, come on in, but be quiet because mummy or grandpa might- ah! <laughs>
11: You tricked me. Well, what have you to say, Junior? What? And I... get those dirty little lunch hooks out of that candy dish. Well,
8: I'll just take this with a piece of candy that I squoze here. I said no. Oh, oh, you have
5: me. You have me. Now I'm going to tell
11: on you. I'll wait till the company gets here and tell on you. I have nothing to hide. My life is an open book. Yeah, but I got a
8: footnote that everybody will get a kick out of <laughs> Very
5: well.
11: What are you going to
8: tell? i tell everybody that you was who was uh, handling one of the oars when, when Washington crossed the Delaware.
11: Oh, now that's ridiculous. Oh, it is, huh?
8: Hey, Vernon, look, the general standing up in the bow. Hey,
11: sit down, George. You're rocking the boat. uh, Outside with you.
8: Okay, I'll just take along something to nibble on. No, you don't. (laughs) Not so hard. How many
11: times do I have to tell you to stay out of that candy dish? I don't
8: know how many pieces of candy are left in there. (laughs) Can I have some? Why can't I have some? Because you'll spoil your dinner. Well, why can't I just have candy for my dinner? Because it'll spoil your supper. Look, Kato, by the time supper comes, I will be in so much hot water, I will be sent to bed without my supper anyhow, so what do I got to lose?
11: (laughs) I said keep out.
8: Now look, you give me some candy. I'm gonna bang my head on the piano.
11: Do you stop banging your head on the piano? We just had it tuned.
8: (laughs) Boy, she loves me like Wallace loves omelets.
11: Oh, sweet tooth Charlie is acting up because oh. I won't yeah, give him some candy.
8: Why yeah, yeah, can't yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I have some? I need need sugar. Me, what your body needs, sugar. Sugar builds energy, and I need energy to stand here and, and argue with you. <laughs> now
5: listen. <laughs> I just got myself
8: in time, boy. <laughs> well, I got my mouth wiped out with Tide. You're
11: know? now, now, you down with quick cold, Junior. Hmm? There was enough sugar in that piece of cake I gave you ten minutes ago, Mother. You mean to say that you gave him a piece of cake? Yeah. You admit you've been spoiling him with sweets?
8: Well, don't just give up easy-like. Her, I made you do it at the point of a gun. But, you don't have to answer. But... I'll get Jerry Getsler. He'll get you out of there. Gee,
5: <laughs> keep quiet.
11: Mother, I want to know why you insist on spoiling him. Spoiling <laughs> I smell this way all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, that is
5: most ridiculous.
11: I ever heard. Now, you give him more sweets than I do. Well, I should. After all, I'm his mother.
8: Well, we thought you wanted to keep that a secret.
5: Then
11: his affection in any manner I see fit. Yes,
8: he should. Now, top that one, fat girl. <laughs>
5: well,
11: I... I gave him that cake because he was hungry. Yes. And i do it again, yeah, too. Yeah,
8: do it now. Do it now. We'll show her. <laughs> Hey, look, keep peace in the family I'll just help myself to a widow candy and you Get money. out of there yeah, oh, yeah. Now, What's the matter with you? A minute ago you was on my side You get upstairs and go to your room Ain't you gonna let me meet the company? No,
11: these people we like
5: yeah. <laughs> Now go
8: on Okay, double-crossed, that's what I was By my own grandma, too Well, from now on, I'm a lone wolf Goodbye,
11: comedy me, Ned Oh, oh. Don't let him upset you. I'm sorry I lost my temper, Mother. Oh well, it's all right, dear. I. Oh, look, it's gone. What's gone? The candy dish. That little rascal. He took it upstairs with him. Now, Lorraine, it's up to you to take that boy in hand. Well, I intend to, Mother. But let's not frighten him. We know that he took the dish of candy. But let's be diplomatic and pretend that we don't. All right, <laughs> oh, Junior. Where is it? Where's well, what? La, la Now look, little poker face. <laughs> <do>, la,
8: la. <laughs> you now what? Oh, what's the name of that thing? I
11: can't <laughs> do, 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 do You want to know about that candy dish? What candy dish? Now look, young man. Do, do, do. There were only three of us in the living room where the candy dish was. Yeah? But now the candy dish is gone. Do tell. And I think I know who took it. And I think I know who took it.
8: And I think I know who took it. (laughs) But
11: I hope none of us is
8: stool pigeons.
11: There it is. There it is under the bed. Oh, no, no. Well, what do you know? How did that get there, I wonder? I'll have to punish you, young man.
8: you, you whip me, you whip me. You beat me all the time. But it didn't hurt. (laughs)
5: <laughs>
11: oh, it didn't No, it didn't Well, this is going to hurt you What? Your grandmother and I are going to eat all the candy and oh. not give
8: you any Well, go ahead and eat it I don't care I just close my eyes Now watch you How are you like that?
11: All right yeah. Here, Mother, a piece of candy for oh, you okay. Thank you, Lorene Not even look at you. Are his eyes still shut? Still shut hmm? Eat your candy, Mother It looks delicious I would Oh, mm, my I, I can hardly wait to bite into it oh, Good heavens it's just like biting into a rock or... Oh, the lower plate's ruined Oh, there went my inline. Let me see that dish of candy Look, he filled the candy dish with rocks That's it I'm going to give him the whipping of his life oh, Now no, get
10: right no, back
5: no, in no, the no, no, no,
6: no. Well, I just goes to show you If you don't keep your eyes open You're liable to feel the consequence in the end <laughs>
7: Thanks for being with us tonight, and we hope you liked our program well enough to be with us next week. So until next Friday... This is Red
6: Skelton saying goodbye now, and thanks for listening, and thanks for buying more and more of that Day Miracle Tide. Tide's
5: in. Dirt's out. Tide
11: gets cold cleaner than any soap. T-I-D-E. Tide.
7: Hodgkin Gamble invites you to join us again with the Red Skelton next Friday. And now stay tuned to the life of Riley, which follows immediately. Red Skelton is heard in this program through
1: the courtesy of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer.
6: See you in Washington, D.C.
1: Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's The Saint, followed by Burns and Allen. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night.